You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. Ah, good nerve, Shabbos. Well, we are in Parshas Yisrael. We've come down into Egypt, up from Egypt, and last week we crossed the sea. Last week the manna began falling from heaven. And at the end of the Parsha, we actually battled and won over the nation of Amalek. But of course there was a whole safer, a whole book before. We had the book of Bereshis, Genesis, Breshit. The world was created. And many generations passed until the point that we're at now. In fact, 26 generations until Moshe. Many, many, many generations. Ten from Adam until Noah. Ten more from Noah until Abraham. Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, that's three. Yaakov's son, Levi, is four. His son, Kehos. His son, Amram, generation six. And so, after 26 generations, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our leader, is born. And the whole book of Breshit talks about individuals. Individuals who made good choices. Individuals who yearn to connect with God. Yearn to be true to the reason for them coming down into this world in the first place. And how they encountered the world. But the starting point is creation. With ten sayings did God create the world. And the world, in essence, is a manifestation of godliness. But he wanted it to be hidden, so he created a creation called nature. And it's the word of God bringing the trees into being, bringing the fish and the birds and the people into being. But he's hidden. That's the rule of nature. It seems to be running on its own. It seems that the sun goes up and the sun goes down. It seems that the seasons change. It seems that there's no connection between the creator and the creation, except that from time to time, he lets us have a peek. He lets us look behind the curtain. But the way he wants it is for his presence to be hidden and for us to make good choices so that we actually have a real part in completing his desire to have a dwelling place, a palace, a garden, together with us. In the natural, can you imagine, the infinite revealed in the finite. And so the first 12 portions of the Torah take us from Adam to Jacob really to Joseph, Jacob and his sons. So Adam Horishain, down to Yaakov Ovinu and his 12 sons. And at the end of the Sefer, the sons go down to Egypt together with their father, are reunited with Yosef and its 70 souls. That number 70 is a very pivotal number. Many of you participated in the launching of the 70th year since the Rebbe took leadership, or formal leadership, or the entering of the 71st year since the passing of the previous Rebbe, 
and our Rebbe taking on the leadership, but in an informal way, which became formal at the first yard site. Seventy, an amazing number. King David describes that a lifespan is 70 years. 70 years after which, in a sense, it's a new life, a new energy, a new beginning. But let's go back. 70 souls descended into Egypt. And yes, when those 70 souls came into Egypt, being completed by the birth of Yocheved, who was born as they entered the walls of Egypt, and then further completed by being reunited with Yosef and being introduced to and joined by the two sons of Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe, 70 souls. And from that time, 70 people going down into Egypt opened a new chapter, a new life, a new epoch, a new era in Jewish history. And so it begins with descending. Jacob goes down into Egypt. But our sages teach that every descent is for the purpose of a higher ascent. Yerida, Tzorah That everything that God does in this world is good, and even the seeming descents are for the purpose of reaching a higher ascent. We need to remember that in our lives. And never to become frightened, never to become discouraged when things seem to be getting dark, less of a manifest good than they were before. We've got to know that this is a new opportunity for new life, for new choices, and to reach greater heights. And so it is with the book of Shmois, translated, or the English usage is Exodus. It doesn't start with an Exodus. It starts with a descent followed by an enslavement. And the first three parshas of Shmois, Bo'era, and Boy, we find things become difficult. In the first parsha, there's the enslavement. They're in Mitzrayim, in the limitations Things are getting worse all the time. New laws are being passed. Baby boys are to be murdered, thrown alive into the Nile, drowned. So much is going on there. And it's all part of Tyra. Of course, this is followed by the birth of the Savior, Moshe Rabbeinu, Goyel, the Redeemer, and how he rises to the occasion and is called by Hashem to go and speak to Pharaoh. That will lead to seven plagues and then three more. Again, the number ten. That will lead to Pharaoh chasing them out of Egypt, as we had in last week's parsha, and it was when Pharaoh sent the people out. And of course, last week we encountered the incredible, incredible splitting of the sea. People were afraid. The Egyptians are pursuing us. Look, there's Pharaoh. They're coming closer. But that was just a stage being set for one of the greatest miracles of all time, the splitting of the sea. Afterwards, once the enemy was completely nullified, 
They had more enemies ahead. There was a formidable desert ahead. What were they going to eat? What about the snakes and the scorpions? What about the enemy warrior nations all around? Midbar. They were to run out of food, run out of water, be attacked by the vicious nation of Amalek. And so last week's parasha ended. All of these, all these challenges are steps. And these steps are necessary steps to take us to what was the most momentous occurrence in all of history up until that time. God created the world at the beginning of Bracius, and now there would be revelation. God would come down on the mountain. And in which parsha do we hear of this incredible, what's known as the giving of the law, or the Ten Commandments, Aseret HaDibrot, it's not Aseret HaMitzvot, so it's badly translated. It's the ten things God said, the ten things that he spoke. And that's the fifth book, the fifth section of the second book. And it begins with a very interesting story, as it were. And it speaks about the father-in-law, Yitro, Jethro. And the Jewish people are about to get the Torah, and he comes and he joins them. He joins the people... For he has heard about the miracles. He heard about the exodus from Egypt, and he was part of the court of Pharaoh. He couldn't believe it. He knew the power of Pharaoh. When he heard that, it was like earth-shaking for him. Subsequent to that, he heard about the splitting of the sea. It took his breath away. And finally, he heard about the war with Amalek, that warrior. And yet... This slave nation was able to vanquish them with the help of God himself. Well, he now goes out to meet Moshe and the Jewish people, and they were camped at a place called Rafidim, which was close to Mount Sinai. Now, who was this Jethro? He was called Kohen Midian, the leader of Midian, the high priest of Midian, for he was a serious scholar of religion, someone who not only for many years, led his nation in serving the particular idolatry that he served. But he was dissatisfied with that and went on to study and search and look for other truths. He was looking for the truth. And one after the other, he just didn't find the truth. He tried everything. And one by one, he renounced idolatry. But he wasn't yet Jewish. But once he heard about these wonderful miracles that God had done for the Jewish nation, redeemed them with miracles from Egypt, split the sea for them, and helped them, fought for them, to vanquish the enemy of Amalek. He was ready to become a Jew. And in truth, we're told that these three things had to happen before the Torah could be given. The sea had to split. The war with Amalek had to be won. And Yitro had to convert, convert to becoming a Jew, be ready to take on the whole Torah. And we know that we have to live with Torah every day. In fact, there are six things we need to actively recall every day. And some of these things, most of them, in fact, are literally in the parsha, or between last week and this week. It's there. First of all, Exodus from Egypt. Every single day we've got to remember it. Secondly, the war with Amalek. Every single day. Thirdly, Sinai. 
revelation at Sinai, and also Shabbat. We have to remember the day of Shabbos on a daily basis. And we need to ask ourselves, how do we do this practically? These are not just events. Obviously, Torah is from the word guidance, and an instruction to remember needs to lead to something practical, because Torah is called Torah's Chaim, a Torah of life. How does living with these, remembering these activities, actually inform our life and add life to us? We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. The Parsha this week is the Parsha of Yisrael. Yisrael was the father-in-law of Moshe, who was the world's foremost idolater in that he was searching for truth. So he tried absolutely every religion, every idol worship. And one by one, he renounced them. And he arrives to where the Jews are camped because he has heard of this incredible exodus from Egypt by nearly three million slaves were able to break the might and the power of the power of the world at that time, philosophically, its armies, its control, its way of life, its way of thinking, its religion, as it were, were the predominant way of thinking at that time. Pharaoh was the most powerful leader, and he had plenty of black magic, as it were, at his fingertips. He was powerful. And we're told, our sages say, that not one slave ever managed to escape from Egypt. And here, nearly three million souls, with all their animals and all their possessions, are marching out in the middle of the day. He heard about that. He couldn't believe it. I mean, he could believe it, but he never could have imagined it. And then he heard how the army of Egypt was decimated. There was a splitting of the Red Sea for the Sea of Reeds. And Egypt was no more. That power was completely crushed. And then he heard, again, how the powerful nation of Amalek was absolutely defeated. By whom? Obviously by the God of the Hebrews, the true God. And although he had renounced idolatry before, he was ready to become a Jew. And we are taught that these events were prerequisites for the world to be ready for the Torah to be given. Physical attack of the nation of Amalek? What can we learn from that? Indeed, the splitting of the sea, the war with Amalek, and the conversion of Yisrael. If we have to relive these events in our daily lives, how do we do it? So there's a teaching that each and every day we must look at Torah as if it's brand new. When we say the prayer in the morning, thanking God for giving us the Torah, we say, blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. In the present, Hashem gives us the Torah each and every day all over again. How is that? Because every day, Hashem gives us new higher insights into life every single day. From where? From his Torah. Torah is infinite. It's an infinite well, an infinite spring connected to Hashem himself. And each and every day when we study the Torah, we see things on a deeper level. 
sharper, clearer. So the reliving of the giving of the Torah, we understand. But before this can happen, we've got to do a few things. The one is to subdue our inner Amalek. What is the spiritual battle that Amalek attacks us with on a regular basis? We each have an inner Amalek, and that is doubt. Doubting God's care and involvement and presence in our life. And it bothers us very often. When things get rough and scary, we start to question. Start to say, wait a minute. What's the use of being so involved in, in Yiddishkeit? Look, even that rabbi has that problem. Or even this very, very kind person is suffering this terrible difficulty. God forbid. And when we study the Torah, it gives us insight. And it gives us ammunition to be able to quiet our inner Amalek. You know what Amalek said? Yeah, we know there's God. But he's not interested in, in this world. He's got better things to do. And he's too great to really care whether or not you eat kosher, whether or not you keep Shabbos. I mean, does he really care about one small human being? These are details. God's spiritual. He's holy. He's above the world. And one doubt leads to another. And eventually, that inner Amalek convinces us that God's just not here in this world at all. Couldn't care less what people do. And brings us a proof, look, the evil who are powerful, they win. They're the ones who have the upper hand. What's the use of being good? What's the use of caring about other people? Here it's dog-eat-dog. Might makes right. And God forbid, that can weaken us and make us stop searching for God, stop searching for holiness and spirituality. Every single day, we've got to leave Egypt. We've got to leave the limitations of our materialistic side and reach for nurturing the soul, bringing that side of us out into the open, making it stronger, the side that's sensitive, the side that's caring, the side that's connected to Hashem. But at the same time, we've got these noises that we have to silence every single day, that voice of doubt that tries to stop us from growing spiritually. You know... It's an amazing thing. You think you did it once, but you have to do it again and again and again. But only after we're successful in leaving our inner Egypt and overcoming our inner Amalek are we ready to receive the Torah all over again on that day. So there we go. Every single day we wake up and we have to begin by leaving Egypt. We have to leave our inclinations to be lazy, inclinations for comfort, inclinations just to make it easy. We must break out and subdue, silence our doubts that God is there. Everything's by divine providence. Nothing is not the hand of God. And so we've got to work with that and get our perspective right every single day. And we also have to convert our inner Yitro, our inner Jethro, our inner voice, that part of us that still likes to serve, well, some sort of idol. What's the idol in today's world? Materialism. You know, talk about the golden calf, serving gold, worshipping money, excessive material desires and comforts. How do we do this? How do we get out of Egypt every day? 
How in the world can we silence our doubts? How in the world can we convert that part of us that really likes hmm, all the yummy food, all the new dresses, all the new external stuff, which will never fill us anyhow? There is a method. And the Rebbe tells us, in order to do those things successfully, we first have to split the sea and go down into the sea. What does that mean? Well, the sea water represents something that can cover us completely. And we must immerse ourselves totally in holiness every single morning. How? We'll be temporary because we'll come up out of it. But by immersing ourselves in our morning prayers and regular Torah study, this is called entering the sea. For Torah is called water, and it's refreshing, and it's life-giving. And through our morning prayers, where we immerse ourselves and enter the world of connection with God, if we do this, the experience that we have in the prayer and study empowers us to bring that higher awareness into everything we will do during the day, whether we eat, go to work, earn a living, interact with others, whatever we do, there will be a higher awareness that God is there making it happen. And we take our part in whatever he brings to us and react appropriately. So we've got to make time to pray even a little bit in the morning. Connect with God. Think about him. Think about the words of the prayers. Even just the morning blessings and Shema, the 12 words of Modani. Immerse ourselves in them completely and make some time to study the Torah. Listen to a shiur, a shiur on Chai FM, a podcast. And there's so much available on the Internet. And if we do this every day, for every day we are bidden, to do these things, leave Egypt, remember Sinai, remember Amalek, we'll be able to uncover new insights that will make Sinai relevant each day in every situation. We will be able to hear God's voice from Sinai on a day-to-day basis. We'll be surrounded by guidance, life-giving guidance. Hashem loves us. He created us and so desires for us to have a good life. And therefore... He tells us all the things he tells us, much as a loving parent who wants his child to have a good life, gives his child wisdom, gives his child direction. And the child who takes this doesn't mean that they won't have their own journey, but they'll be equipped to deal with what comes their way in a way which is wise and beneficial. We have an incredible, incredible Torah, and in this week's Parsha, God speaks to the people, directly to the people. And he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out from Egypt. And he gives us ten instructions in which all the ways, all the 613 mitzvahs of Torah are incorporated. And it's quite an awesome and amazing, amazing teaching. Hashem loves us. He wants us to have a good life. And he helps us to have that good life. But we have to actually do it. And one of the important things, most important things that he wants from us, as we spoke last week, is unity, love, brotherly love, concern for the other, respect for the other. 
One more prerequisite for getting the Torah, for getting God's wisdom, and that was love. So what happened next is the Jews encamped facing the mountain. They encamped as one person, the word Vayichan, not Vayachanu in the plural, plural, and they encamped, but then he encamped there facing the mountain. Let's remember. Remember, we often say about the Hasidic Rebbe who was asked, where is God? And his answer was, wherever you let him in. God so wants to be part of our lives, but he hates disharmony. He hates it when we don't make space for each other. He hates it when we don't stretch to see the other. He refuses to come in or to dwell where there's discord, fighting, disharmony. When we are united, when we're unified in harmony with one another, and guess what? We can have a relationship with God and we can have harmony with God. And it was only then that we could receive the Torah. To be able to connect to him more easily, connect to another person, connect to your fellow Jew. And of course, it applies to everything. If it is a basic teaching in the Torah, loving another is the key to everything. Anyone can study the Torah, of course, but then it's not just reading the story or reading the words or studying the law. There's something called divine inspiration. When you study, sometimes you're granted additional insight and you actually sense God's presence in the Torah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How do we get that? How do we merit that? Vayichan. We merit Torah and Torah insight when we're actively concerned for our fellow human beings. And there's something else. And the Rebbe points out, why were the Jews the only time in history ever able to unite with as one, like one man with one heart? And that is facing the mountain because they were facing the mountain. What does the mountain represent? It represents Torah. We're all very different. We are not clones of one another. Each one is different intellectually. The gifts God gave us, our intellectual faculties, our emotional capacity, our character traits, our opinions, our viewpoints. And if you were to put all of these different things into one body, there's no way we could maintain our individuality and, and function as one unified body. There is a way, however that all of us, no matter how different we are, can have unity. And that's only if we're focused on Hashem. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Meshi only on 101.9 High FM. How do we achieve unity? Only if we're focused on God Himself do our differences suddenly stop being an obstacle to unity. Yeah, our differences still exist. I'm still me. God made me this way. And that's necessary in order that I fulfill my part of this incredible collective mission of which each and every person on earth right now, anybody who's ever been here or ever will be here, brings completion to the actual collective divine mission. But when we show unity, when we understand that Everyone has a right 
and an obligation to be devoted to God. And we help each other. There's unity and caring. We have a shared devotion, even though we're different. Then that devotion to God and his will and what he wants and understanding that he loves us all will transform these differences into actual stepping stones toward our goal rather than obstruct or be a barrier to our goal. The importance of unity. It's not just me, my family, my business. We are responsible for one another. We are responsible to God and to his world, to his creations, those he brings close to us. Of course, there's extra responsibility But you know, it brings us to another thing, and that is that we often are jealous. We're envious of another person. And it's very interesting that one of the ten instructions, the Aseris Hadibris, the ten things that God spoke at Sinai, that were singled out, which of course contain all the mitzvot. The whole Torah is within those Aseret Hadibrot, what's called the Ten Commandments, but they were the ten sayings. Why would God say, you mustn't desire your fellow's house? I'm jealous. I like his house. He has a beautiful house. And the answer is, with a shift in perspective, we can begin to understand how it is possible not to be jealous, even if someone else is more clever, more beautiful, more talented, more agile, wealthier, more powerful, more accomplished, and so on. And the answer is, God creates each one of us. And he creates each one with all of our resources, whatever we need to fulfill our particular unique mission. He gives us our possessions, our talents, our strengths. And yes, we have to say the things that we are missing would get in the way of us accomplishing our mission. But when we recognize what we do have and our efforts are in the direction of dedicating these gifts to our divine mission and using them to make awareness of God more prevalent in the world, then we achieve our own fulfillment. I'm not gifted with something so I can be proud and my mother can be proud. I'm gifted with something to make this world a more godly place and more particularly to make God's presence well-known in the world. If God didn't give me something or didn't give it to me right now, I don't need it. It's not necessary for me to fulfill my mission. In fact, having it would sidetrack me from growing, from developing, from accessing the gifts I do have and using them to their fullest potential. Once we start to see it like that, I have nothing that I shouldn't have. I'm missing nothing that I need the husband I have, the child I have, or God forbid, don't have. Whatever I am limited by right now, there's something I need to accomplish in the absence of that thing in order to have used what God gave me now. And when I've done it and achieved the mission with this, other things will be given to me in order for me to use them to reach the next level and bring a heightened awareness of God in the world. It's quite the cure for envy. It's quite an amazing thing. But we need to remember that passion in life, passion in God, in serving God, enthusiasm is a key ingredient. And so we find that when God came to give the Torah, 
the whole of the mountain was burning. It was smoking because God had come down onto it, Boesh, in fire. Now, everything in Tyra is exact, and everything that God does is to teach us something. The fact that the mountain was burning indicated that by giving us the Torah, God now enabled the physical world to be affected by spirituality. Spirituality, passion for good things. God himself is a fire. And to bring that godly fire into this world, we need to dedicate ourselves, everything in life, dedicate ourselves to making it a passionate experience. Do we want to transform time and space and ourselves, our consciousness, into something more spiritual? There's a key. We have to make sure that every aspect of our divine service, of our religious life, our dedication to our spouse, the caring for and guidance of our children and our spiritual children, the mitzvahs we do, the tzedakah that we give, nothing is done in a cool, dispassionate way. Everything's done with fire, with warmth, with enthusiasm, with excitement for God and his Torah. That fire, that incredible fire transforms the mountain, transforms the world. It is an absolutely um, necessary ingredient for success. And let's end with two little stories from the Rebbe. The Rebbe in our times... And the first thing is about our dear Rabbi Bernhard Oliver Shalom. In 1965, the Rebbe urged Rabbi Bernhard to come and take up the position of the country's largest synagogue, the Oxford Shul. And it was for the purpose of strengthening Jewish life here in South Africa. But at that time, there were no proper Jewish schools here. In other words, a yeshiva, a day school, a proper observant school that teaches Torah in an unadulterated way. So very respectfully, apparently, Rabbi Bernard shared, he said that while I appreciate the need to build proper schools for the Jewish community there, what about my children? And the Rebbe said to him, Hashem will look out for your children, but first you must selflessly help the community. And then he quoted a Pasuk, and the Pasuk was that the verse Laments, they made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I did not keep. So Rabbi Bernard objected, he said, quite to the contrary. That pasuk, that verse support, supports my approach. You're making me the guardian of other people's vineyards, but what about my own? What about my vineyard, my own children? Your own, replied the Rebbe. And what should every Jewish child in South Africa be considered, if not your own? We're responsible for one another. And the passion and the love that we have for our children is expected that we show that same passion for another child. Each and every one of us is responsible for one another. The unity that was shown at Sinai is the unity that is needed to bring the revelation of the Mashiach where Hashem says, Torah Hadosha Me'iti there will be a higher level of Torah, a new Torah that will be taught then. We need to understand that the goal is the most important thing, and God will provide and take care of us if we focus. As the teaching is, you take care of mine and I'll take care of yours. 
And finally, remember that Chabad Chosid, who was a successful businessman, and he was invited to come into Yechidus, a private audience, with the Rebbe. The Rebbe told him that a certain newspaper that was affiliated with the conservative stream of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, was in financial difficulty. And the Rebbe said to this Chosid, please contact the management and without telling them who sent you, find out how much money is needed to keep that newspaper, that conservative newspaper, conservative from a Jewish point of view, in operation. And let me know the figure, says the Rebbe. I'd like to help keep that newspaper running. So the Chosid was surprised. He thought, that newspaper? They're opposed to halacha, to traditional halacha. And the Rebbe, as if reading the Chosid's thoughts, said as follows. This paper reaches thousands of Jews. Every Friday, the paper prints the weekly Shabbos candlelighting time, as well as the time that Shabbos ends. If the paper folds, thousands of Jewish women may not know the Shabbos candlelighting time and what Shabbos and when Shabbos ends. We have to see what is the goal. We have to act. All of us are one. We need to see to it that we do with passion, with joy, and may we merit joy and nachas, the answer to our prayers, and the answer to our ultimate prayer, the revelation of Mashiach, to bring joy, peace, and harmony to all of mankind. Good Shabbos.